podcast where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Today's guest is Hannah Taphorn, who is Senior Scientist, Information Research and Analysis for the great consumer goods company Procter & Gamble, who this year I think is celebrating uh, 185 years in existence, which, uh, you know, I have to say P&G is one of the companies I've got the greatest admiration for. That's 185 years, by the way, of being in continuous control of their own destiny. They've never been acquired in 185 years. Just amazing. Just think about that. 1843, uh, there are 25 states in the union at that time. So that's that's way back there. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I digress. So uh, Hannah's at PNG, and if you think about a PNG or often you think of uh, someone who's who's more like a lifer, right? Who was recruited out of college and started with PNG and has spent their whole career there. Uh, that's not always the case, and it's not the case with Hannah. As a matter of fact, Hannah's story is really fun and interesting uh, about how she made her way to Procter and Gamble, and we're gonna dig into that, cover all of that on today's podcast. I'm super excited to have you today, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, and you're in Cincinnati, of course, my old stomping grounds, which is very exciting. Uh, so let's, let's talk about, uh, let's start with research, right? So you've been at PNG, I think maybe a little over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, how did you get into the research side and, and tell us about what you're doing at Proctor? Sure. Um, so I don't really know how I ended up in research. Um, like it might have been an accident, right? <laughs> uh, but I, my, so my degree is in communication, actually, from a liberal arts college, Wittenberg, teeny tiny school. And liberal arts education is very much about fueling your curiosity and making connections between, you know, different subject matter. So perfect for someone that was always curious like me. Sure. Um, after that, after graduating, I did a little bit of consumer research um, for a little bit here in Cincinnati, and then uh, found myself in economic development in research specifically there. But again, one of those fields that you kind of stumble into often. Sure. Uh, and it was my job to tell companies what a great place Cincinnati was to do business, to live here, to work here, all of that, which okay. is a lot of fun. Uh, my role specifically is I got to answer questions. Um, could be anything, really. It could run the gamut of labor market. It could be um, about quality of life, really anything. Mm-hmm. Um, really fun, quite a wild ride. Uh, and then when I was looking for something new, I found my current role here at PNG. And uh, I work for the Information Research and Analysis Group. It's part of research and development. Okay. So effectively, what my job is, is our group uses external information. So nothing that we create at PNG. It's not lab information. It's not clinical studies. It's anything outside of our own walls. Got it. And basically, I just read a bunch of stuff, uh, consolidate it, streamline it, find the so what, make a strategic recommendation, and that's my job. So I help enable 
the kind of insatiable curiosity of both our innovators and our senior leaders in R&D. Okay, that's really interesting. So, so how do you get pulled in? Is it somebody's working on a, a like a 10-year plan or something like that and, and wants some outside sourcing to understand, you know, what a market is going to look like or when and how do you get pulled into a project? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, sometimes it's a question coming to me. Um, sometimes it is just, you know, the internal network of someone like, oh, hey, I know this group that does this kind of stuff. We yeah. should loop them in. Sometimes it's it's hearing a question that wasn't actually asked and saying like, hey, I have something that can help solve this problem for you and inserting, you know, our group in. Um, so it's definitely a variety, both in subject matter and in kind of how we get involved. Okay, that's 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 cool. And it it's so interesting because you said uh, it sounds to some extent similar to what you were doing before, right? So I can I can see the link of you know why you know you got really good at doing that in your previous role, and so it made sense to do, uh, to do it at PNG. Um, thinking about that that other role working for the city uh, or supporting the, the region, city. the whole the region. region. Oh, the region. Okay. All right. Now it's getting bigger. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm curious about that. Was that, did that create an opportunity as well to meet a lot of the movers and shakers in, in the region, or it feels like something that's sort of political that way, maybe. Absolutely. And it's not just the political arena either, because the, the thing that makes a, a region a great place to live is all of the other things. It's not just the political climate, but, you know, it's it's the sports, it's the arts, it's the culture, all of that. So a lot of those people are very involved in that space as well. So, yeah, I mean, you you get a seat at a lot of tables doing that that you wouldn't necessarily find yourself at so early in a career. And I mean, it was a phenomenal opportunity uh, in that respect, but yeah, just, you never knew what was going to come in the office that day. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, and I know when we were talking before you, you had mentioned that you live in Northside, which is a cool, cool side of town in Cincinnati, I must say. Mm -hmm. um, and the best, but I'm biased. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, but you said that uh, I think you were involved in planning the Northside Parade, which I know is a huge deal in Cincinnati, and I've lived there, and it's, it's a really cool event. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it was just a small, you know, gathering of, you know, 10 to 15,000 of Northside's <laughs> closest friends. Um, it was so fun. So it was, it's completely volunteer. I've since retired from it. We'll be having our first in-person though in the neighborhood. First that I get to sit and enjoy nice. as not an organizer ever. So I'm very pumped. Um, but it really captures like the essence of the neighborhood in one mile long parade. And it's so much fun uh, to organize it. Um, it was a great way to give back to the neighborhood because it's nothing like a 4th of July parade that you're expecting at all. Right. We would have... Yeah mobile art pieces we had drag nuns we had an all-female ukulele band we have dance troops we have protests we have everything yeah. anything that you can think of is in the north side parade and it was just so fun and absurd to be a part of 
Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. So, so you were part of, of helping to organize that chaos, <laughs> which, yeah. is afraid, which is really, really cool. So um, clearly there's this thread here of the arts um, because I know back in your college days uh, for, for several years, uh, you were, you had another interesting job and uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So my college summer job was as a body artist at the Cincinnati Zoo, which mostly entailed face painting, some glitter tattoos, some airbrush tattoos. Uh, what you didn't know is the winter side of that gig is I was the professional photographer for the Santa Claus as well. Oh, check um, Yeah, I know him. I have his cell phone number. Oh, you're it's, seriously connected. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just a really fun job. Uh, I'm the correct age where unpaid internships were still the rule, not the exception. And yeah. face painting was very um, good money so that I could, you know, kind of cash some some money away for school so I didn't have to work as much during the year I could focus on classes and extracurriculars and sports and all of that um, but it was also just a ton of fun really hot yeah. and sticky and yeah. glitter never goes away but it was just such a fun way to spend the summer um, yeah. yeah yeah it was great and I mean the Cincinnati Zoo is beautiful right and so it's mm -hmm. quite quite possible dare i say likely that you've you've painted the faces of at least one of my kids uh, i am <laughs> yeah i am always curious how many like family photo albums i'm in just like a sweaty mess like doing this art on a on a kid in the middle of the summer so i'm waiting for the day that i like meet someone and they're like oh i have a picture of you on like my mantle <laughs> You're like oh cool <laughs> you know, I'm glad you loved glad you loved the art. I'm gonna go back and check my own family albums now. So <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Cool. Um, all right. So so this is just really an interesting uh, uh, career trajectory. Uh, just thinking about the things that you've you've done. Now um, here you are at Proctor, and it's a great great gig. And um, I'm curious to know with these other things that you've done in the past, what, what you've learned from those jobs that you apply into your, uh, your position at, at P&G? Sure, so economic development really is like a, a, an industry that builds resiliency in a lot of ways being in it because you don't know what's coming in. You're at, you're, you know, you're, there is no cycle. Um, so it can be, feast or famine type of work, um, which right. I think is good. It's a lot of training to communicate effectively at multiple different levels as well. Right. So I could move from, you know, like a professional industry thing with my peers to presenting to the CEO of a Fortune 5 within the same day. That was a normal thing. So I think that's been a great skill as well. But even face painting, <laughs> glitter well, you makes everything better. <laughs> You don't you don't uh, paint faces at Proctor now, do you? I do not. I do not. That is okay. reserved for Halloween and my friends' kids only. <laughs> Perfect. But you're you're, you're saying uh, everything is better with glitter. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, well, one literally glitter on stuff is great. Um, 
I have friends that would vehemently disagree. <laughs> but then also, you know, sometimes it's all about how you sell it. Yeah. And a little bit of refinement of a presentation and making sure your fonts match and colors match the glitter of a PowerPoint, if you will, like right. can really go a long way in being more effective because sometimes like, I mean, face painting, sometimes the weather is terrible and the kid is squirmy and sweaty and that is what you have to work with. And I will do my best in the circumstances, might add a little bit of glitter just to make sure, yeah. but it is what it is. And sometimes research can be the same way. Sometimes data just isn't available or right. sometimes the, the data tells us not to do the thing that we wanted to do. And we have to, you know, respect what the data is saying. Mm -hmm. um, so in those moments and in, in research, it's, you have to present it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be enthusiastic about what you're presenting, but add a little pizzazz and then being able, you know, having to tell a C-suite person, like the data you're looking for is not available, it goes over a lot easier when it also looks good. Yeah, right, right. So the, the it's not just the message, it's also the medium and how you deliver it and all that good for stuff. For sure. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm really interested in what you're doing there because a lot of times on the podcast, we're talking to people that do primary research and you're mm -hmm. doing something very different. So um, tell us a little bit about that space. What is, uh, what does it look like? You know, where's it headed? You know, what do you know that you can, you can tell us about? Yeah. So one of the biggest things with non-primary research is really making sure that you have a keen awareness of bullshit, right? Yeah. Either in a lackluster data aggregator or supplier, but then also things that you really have to understand the source so you don't make the conclusions. You don't jump to conclusions that you can't given the, given the data. Right. Um, so that's really, really foundationally important because I mean, now, there are decisions being made off of our work that are millions of dollars. And we right. need to trust that the foundation of that work was as accurate as it can be, as complete as it can be, and that we're drawing appropriate conclusions from what we have. Um, so I think that's super important. Another place, you know, in data more and more, it's becoming so much easier to find information to connect it to other sources that it really, I think, in our industry becomes so much more important um, finding the insights from it. It's not just data collection. It's not just making a beautiful chart, but it's being able to articulate what is the so what, how can I relate it to the audience, um, and then what should we do about it? Because right. if there isn't that call to action, and not every you know, ask requires a call to action. Sometimes it really is just like, hey, I need this data set. Can you find it? But often it has that directional aspect to it. Um, so that even more is becoming more important because the other pieces are becoming easier for more people to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I definitely see that as a movement. And along with that, it's adding the glitter. It's the storytelling sure. um, because it's, you can have the best, most well-researched project ever, but if it doesn't resonate with your audience, if it isn't presented in a professional and polished manner, mm -hmm. you might not get that message across. 
And you know, we see the the flip side of this, I think, often with misinformation. It looks good, it's snappy, it has an interesting, salacious, clickbaity story. Right. But it's not true, right? So I think it's our professional imperative to make sure that when we are doing the good work, we're setting an example of this is how you should cite your sources. This is how you should make sure that your sources are legitimate. And it's quality as an output. You know, nothing that I do now is public facing, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact internally. So I always strive to make sure that it looks good. Um, There aren't typos in my work. It's always in our brand colors. Right. You know, all of that. The fonts are always the same. That one drives me nuts. Um, But it it tells a story to whoever that audience is that requested it, that they can really follow along. Um, And I think that's that's absolutely key. So is it hard sometimes to assess the veracity, um, the quality of the sources that that you're finding or or attempting to use? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. There's just so much anymore. Like there's always a new something, um, either a a data aggregator that claims that they have the best, you know, whatever, whatever. And anymore, there's a lot of AI algorithms that are going on in the background. And if you don't understand how they're working, it's hard to understand what is happening to the data and then what insights you can draw from it. Right, right. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting space. And, you know, I, I think with the availability of data now, the proliferation of data, uh, it starts to encroach on a lot of the primary research that has been done in the past. Now it's, hey, before we go out and uh, create new data, um, why don't we assess what's already out there? Um, and so it's, it's kind of all playing in the same, in the same space. So really cool. Um, so, so this is a podcast, right? And you're dealing with sources all day long. I'm very curious to know uh, if you think about the media landscape, uh, can be podcasts, can be anything. What sources do you turn to for either insight or inspiration or enjoyment? Sure. Yeah. So a lot of my job, both now and previously, is reading like a ton. Um, So in my free time, I tend to go the more read for pleasure rather than read specifically in my field. Um, But I read a ton, both print books and audio um, podcasts as well, because I love the, the ability to multitask. I had to drive to Columbus and back the other day and I read half a book. It was great. That's great. Um, But yeah, a huge variety, um, podcasts, Radiolab, This American Life, Life Kit. And what I like about those and then reading just different genres is the variety in there because so much of my type of role professionally is making connections between ideas that don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily think belong together, that I draw a lot of inspiration even personally from reading just ton of stuff, um, all different topics. Um, It's that insatiable curiosity. If I don't get to learn about it in my job, then I want to learn about it personally as well. I want to learn about different people's narratives. So I read a lot of memoirs. I want to read fiction too, because fiction's fun um, and can give a lot of different representation and perspective. So all of it. 
Cool, cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, Hannah, and we haven't talked music yet, but we have to. We have to. It's important. Uh, I'm sure that that there's some music you enjoy as well. Um, so I'm very curious to know this the answer to this question. So you're, you're stranded on a desert island, right, Hannah? Uh, you've got three records of your choosing to keep you company for the rest of your days. What are those records? Yeah, so I almost declined this podcast invite because of this question, because I'll tell you, I do not consume music in that way. Um, I listen to like 70 or 80,000 minutes of Spotify a year, something ridiculous, but I don't listen to like albums and artists. Right. So this whole school, man, it's I'm showing my anyway, go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. There's still there's those consumers still exist. So I went back to my, you know, market research days and I'm like, well, let's talk to the experts. So I texted my five top friends who love music. I always love whatever they're playing. And I was like, what one should I, you know, say? And then I was like, okay. oh, I'll listen to them this week and like call it down. One asshole sent me her top five. And I'm like, cool, friend, cool. But so I've done a lot of listening this week to these okay. different albums. Awesome. Cool. And I'm going to have to go with Rumors, Fleetwood Mac. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, the Cool, Lupe Fiasco. Oh, and then yeah, cool. Beautiful Garbage by Garbage. Yes, I love Garbage. <laughs> I had never listened to it before, and I just like kept finding myself like bobbing along in the office, and <laughs> I'm like, well, that has to go on the list. Yeah, you know, I took uh, took my daughter to college. We were driving around uh, touring colleges last summer, doing all kinds of road trips. And we listened to that CD a ton of times. Um, and we, we ended up seeing Garbage in Concert last nice. summer. So super yeah. cool. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, and I, I have to say, it, it didn't make the list, but two of the people I text did not know I was texting both of them. They happened to be married to each other. <laughs> and their top album choice was the same. And I was like, oh, Whoa. soulmates. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, that wouldn't happen in my household, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's great. Well, I love I love the approach. I love the fact that you, you know, really thought this through. And you got some really good, really good uh, choices. So excellent. Yeah. Well, love the chat, Hannah. Um, really enjoy your story. Uh, and when I get to Cincinnati next, would love to. Meet you for coffee, perhaps at Sidewinders in our side. Hell yeah. That's, so let's let's make it happen. Thanks so much, Hannah. Let's talk soon and rock and roll.